0: It's an honor again to be here. It's uh, it's been a little while since I've been back. Um, Thanks for having me. Uh, My name is Greg. Uh, I've been here for, uh, visiting for a little while before. And um, actually when, it it, it is true, it's a different culture down there. I remember I was up in New England for about eight years or so. When I first came eight years ago, I struggled a lot. Um, Because being the North, uh, you know, we have Southern hospitality, but being in the North, there's no Northern. Hospitality? <laughs> well, there is, but it's different. Uh, <laughs> so, and uh, it's so interesting because uh, I struggle. Like, Why is it so dark and grim and gloomy? And you know, The, the culture is different, but interestingly enough, um, going back down there recently, I kind of feel like a fish out of water. And I'm also feeling the same thing that happens when Bostonians or New Englanders go down there. They hate the southern hospitality. So, so weird! I don't know what you guys did to me in the last <laughs> eight years, but uh, I struggle a little bit with the sometimes hospital. Oh, Why are they so nice? <laughs> um, I was preparing for this week's uh, message, and it's been uh, a while since I've been back here, and I've been, heard a lot of great things. And I was trying to get on track uh, and align myself with what's been going on through this journey through Isaiah. And so I uh, was just checking up on some of the sermons. Uh, from the isaiah series and i loved it it was like hot stuff because um mainly because of the emphasis on the largeness and the vastness and how big god was and uh, pretty much my aim today just preaching today here is simple which is just to um so that your hearts and minds will be stretched by the enormity of god to the point where god would be someone would be a god that you just can't wrap your mind around he is imponderable he is huge and i think you it's really unique here to focus on that much of the largeness and the depth of god because it's i think it's one of the reason why churches today are in decline especially in america there's not a lot of focus on that anymore. And, you know, you talk to people uh, sometimes who are leaving the church, and they won't tell you. It's like, oh. They won't say exactly. That's because, you know, God is not big enough for me. Um, but you hear all other things that they say, and you just get a sense of us. Oh, because we're losing largely what, uh, who God is, the largeness of God, and how big he is. We want a God who we just can't wrap our minds around. And uh, I'm glad that through this series in Isaiah, Pastor John and Pastor Brian amazingly has gone in that way. Well, not amazingly, it's not surprising. In an amazing way <laughs> <have> <laughs> has been going in that direction. Because unfortunately, it is rare to, to uh, uh, as time passes to see that today. But that's who God is. We want and we crave, if you've ever been through tough times or suffering especially, we need a God who is big. I want to ask that question to you this morning. Right here on the spot as we're sitting here Sunday morning, how big is God to you? How big is the God that you worship? Is he a God just in passing on a Sunday or a God maybe who might grant you some things? How big is that God to you. We're going to dive into this uh, passage. Let's start with prayer. Father, as we uh, submit ourselves to you, we open ourselves up to you would ask that you would do uh, amazing things, things that are unexpected, things that we wouldn't expect you to do. And so we don't want to ever get used to you and be able to predict easily what you're doing but we thank you that you're a God who always keeps us on our toes, that every single day that the grace that you offer to us is new and different. And so we pray for that newness now, whether we've been a Christian for a week or 50 years, to long for that newness. because We believe that you are creating new things even at this moment. As I deliver your word, help me to be as honest and faithful As I can, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask one uh, main question, and uh, it's going to be answered, I guess, in three points. Um,
1: Three points, I'm always weary of doing three
0: points, because it's always hard to get through three points and, you know, to go over, so I'm going to try to go through as swiftly as possible, and the main question that I want to ask today is, you read through this, you've been going through Isaiah, you've been going through God's whole plan, and and Isaiah being uh, Uh, just dismantled and uh, him falling before God and woe is me, he knows. And we know that that the seriousness of our sin is we have this big problem going through Isaiah that you read about. And it's just going in a certain direction. And if you take a step back, you might think that it might go in a certain direction. Well, okay, God is saying, okay, I'll finally give you one more chance or I'll just destroy the world entirely. And you get to around chapter 52 and 53, and it's just amazing. And you would have never expected something like this to happen. For example, Peter would have never expected this to happen, because when Jesus, later in the ministry, was telling his disciples what was going to happen, which was, he will suffer and he will die, it didn't make sense. And Peter was like, no, 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 Jesus, no, that doesn't make sense. Never will that happen to you, because you are the Messiah, It wasn't because Peter didn't care about Jesus, and it's something we would have never expected. And then what was Jesus' response? Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. It's like, Whoa. For you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And even Peter might be like, Are you sure? Because. Isn't it a godly desire to want to preserve your life? Isn't it a godly thing to want your well being? Isn't it a godly thing for you to be glorified and be king at this moment in this place here in Israel and take us out of uh, captivity? It's like, what do you mean? It's the, uh, the things of men. Because Jesus had a specific way he was going to come about, uh, bring about the salvation of our souls. So you might be asking when you read chapter 53, verse. Why would God do it this way? Why did he choose to save us in this way? Because it doesn't make sense when Jesus, the hero of the universe, finally gets here. He shows up after years of sin, after years of sorrow and suffering, and failure after failure after failure. He finally shows up, and what what does he do? It says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Despised, rejected by men. A man of sorrows familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. We held him in low esteem. Took up our pain and bore our suffering. We considered him to be punished by God. Stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And so you might be thinking, well, the hero of the story finally shows up, and compared to all these other religions, it doesn't make sense. It looks like something that's like an embarrassing story of the gospel. And so why did God do it this way? Why is there so much blood in this good news of the gospel? So much brutality. Why does it have to be all this, you know, this, this uh, nonsense suffering and punishment? And uh, the first reason uh, that I'll give you is that it happened this way, this weird, unique way, unexpected, for the sake of your certainty, for the sake of our certainty. And when I say certainty, I don't mean just mere certainty, I mean describing it so that we can have a radical, crystal clear, rock hard, unwavering certainty. So why did I say it like this? Why did I say a radical, crystal clear, rock-hard, unwavering certainty? It's because uh, when the Bible talks about faith, Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Or faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the Bible calls us to be. This is what God is eager for, for us to have. He is so desperate and eager for us, not just to have a, a, a small, mere acknowledgement. It's like, I understand God, and I acknowledge, and accept what you've done for us. Jesus has died for my sins, and I accept that fact. But what God is aiming for is a rock-hard, unwavering, radical, crystal-clear certainty. You might say, well, what's the big deal about radical certainty? Well, what's wrong with just having a soft certainty? Isn't that just enough to get to where I'm supposed to go to, get to where I want to go to? I'm not a super religious person, so let's leave the radical faith to the radical people, to the the pastors, people who are serving. Uh, It just doesn't suit me. It's not for everyone. But what God wills for each and every one of us to have is that rock-hard, unwavering, certainty. And that's what we call faith. That's what faith means. Because as we read throughout the Bible, especially in from Hebrews 11, certainty, or that faith its not, we realize it's not just a symbol. When you have faith in God, when you trust in Him, or you go to Him in faith, it's not just something that makes God feel good. He doesn't get a warm fuzzy feeling inside. Well, He does feel good about that. But that's not it. It goes beyond just making God feel good. It's not a symbol to God of how much God means to you, but it goes far beyond that. Faith itself is more like, it's a literal thing. It's like a channel or a conduit through which God is able to contact you and relate with you. So at this moment, when you have a faith in God, there is a literal channel or this conduit that connects you or connects God to you so that when god has that connection with you he can bestow upon you blessing after blessing he can transfer you and show you and express to you literally his love through that conduit which we call faith he can bestow upon you power through that faith that's why faith is so crucial to god that's why certainty and having an unwavering rock hard certainty is so crucial to god because it's like a radio transmission And it means that if you have a certainty when you go to God and you have that confidence, having that kind of confidence before God means that he has this clear channel with you, this clear transmission, so that he can likewise receive from you and you can receive from him and you can experience the presence of God in a way that is real and in a way that is literal, not just symbolic. That's why faith is utterly crucial in the Christian life. That's why faith, literally, it does save you. It's almost like a substance, this conduit. And if that conduit, if that medium is hazy or unclear, or if it's not solid, it means that God can't reach you. This is why all throughout, especially throughout the Old Testament, God was yearning and desiring that thing called faith, but we couldn't have it yet only It only came through Jesus Christ, but he was longing for that day to come when we would be able to go to him, not through works, but by faith. Because this channel of faith is like this infinite, it has this infinite capacity that God will be fully able to just show himself and pour his grace and love upon our hearts. That's how we experience the presence of God. That's why it's so crucial to God because when Times come when we doubt and situations come in our lives where it causes us to despair and our faith in God begins to waver and it begins to dwindle. It means, it feels like from God's perspective that it almost feels like he's losing us. Because he's losing that connection with us. That's why for God, your faith, rock hard, unwavering, is utterly crucial to God. And God will do anything to persevere your faith, to give you that blessing of faith. And he has done everything. And he will give us all of the resources that we need, all of the encouragement that we find here to keep us from wavering, from dwindling, to uphold our faith. And he has done everything on our behalf, hence death. Because there's a certainty that we find in death. Um, If you remember, Benjamin Franklin's one, uh, he has his famous famous quote, famous for a lot of things, but uh, he gave a quote, which was, uh, there's only two things in life that are certain, which is death and taxes. Taxes will always be there, of course. And uh, the other thing is death, because death, there's a certain finality to it. There's a certainty to death. Anything that's connected with death is even the Old Testament uh, when they were making the pact, they were making a covenant they did it with the certainty of death. And they would say, okay I'm making this covenant, I'm making this vow with you and you have this like uh, a line of blood, and, like entrails there and they walk through it and they sacrifice an animal and they say, well we're walking through it because if I break this covenant with you, may I be like these animals' carcasses that are strewn out here. There's a lot of things uh, that are serious that need that certainty to be sure of something is always marked by death. Death is certain. Not even life is certain. Um, I have two kids now, but uh, my first, Ezra, he's four years old now, but before when my wife uh, was pregnant for the first time, she miscarried. If you've ever been through miscarriages, uh, you realize how uh, frail life is. And my wife ended up uh, actually miscarrying three times. And... Our fourth was finally, uh, you know, the pregnancy that made it was around eight, the eight-week mark. Uh, I was really, um, you know, excited. You know, she said she was pregnant, um, not at the eight-week mark before that. And oh, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a father and things like that. And later, um, it was devastating because you know, uh, she she had some complications and she miscarried after that. And then she had a second pregnancy and a third pregnancy and that didn't work out. I was like, wow, life there's. How many billions of people on the planet, and is it this hard? You get a sense of the frailty of life and how fragile life is. And, I mean, unless you watch, like, those teenage uh, pregnancy documentaries where, uh, you know, it seems really easy to get pregnant. They kind of, you know, scare you into that, and they're like, um, you know, it was only, like, one time where we barely even, you know, nothing hardly even happened, you know, I became pregnant, things like that. But on this side of it, if you've experienced that, you're thinking, wow, it is not easy for life to just be created. Life is not certain ever. Even if you made it, you're born, you're alive now, you exist, it's not certain. Of course, death is very certain, which is why God chose to do it this way. He connected his death, the death of God, which brings about the greatest certainty. If he's going to do Uh, I mean, if he's going to die for something, it's going to be something that cannot be undone. Whatever he died for, there's going to be a finality finality to it that no one else can touch. Circumstances won't be able to undo this because it was brought about by his death. Anything internal, you or the devil, Satan himself, will not be able to undo what God did for us on the cross. It has been marked by not just a person's death, but by the death of God, so you know it's going to be something that has certainty to it. That's why our faith, rock-hard, unwavering, is literally supported by the death and the suffering and the torture of God, which is one reason why God, I think, did it this way. For the times in your life where you go through, uh, you have a connection with God, and that connection begins to dwindle, Because your presence and your relationship to God is that precious he had to die for so as to allow your faith to be maintained by that high level of certainty. So when the the boat uh, uh, hits rocks and it starts rocking back and forth, your faith will be maintained because of how precious you are to God. He wants to desperately maintain his fellowship with you. Hebrews 4, 16, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence. King James says, let us boldly approach the throne of grace. When we have that boldness, again, it just doesn't It's not only a way to make God feel good and give him that warm, fuzzy feeling inside. He wants the boldness because boldness of faith and having uh, a kind of attitude that is brimming with confidence every time you go before him means that God has that much more of an intimate connection and a fellowship with you. In the end, it's because of how much God desires us to be with Him. So every single time you go to God in prayer, whether you're praying beside your bed or you're praying for a meal, as you read this, be brimming with confidence that God is for you and not against you, so that you can have the confidence to run and dive into and seek after the heart of God all the days of your life, no matter what happens. So that's point number one. Why did God do it this way? So that you can have a radical, crystal clear, rock-hard, unwavering certainty that connects you to God and it's supported by God's death, by the death of Christ. Number two, why did God do it this way? It's for the seriousness, because of the seriousness of your condition and for the authenticity of our healing. Have you ever wondered why the gospel was you know, just so much... So much brutality in the early Christians. Um, you know, they were doing all this communion. They are talking about the blood of Christ, God dying, things like that. And a lot of people, you know, some people on the outside in the room was like, wow, these guys are like vampire, you know, Christians. Always talking about God and things like that. But it was a way of rejoicing because we know that in the midst of that suffering, there's something real that happens. But you might question, is a God omnipotent? Can't he do anything that he wants? Just snap his fingers. Take away our sin. He doesn't have to die, per se, right? Why do you have to do it this way? There's only one of two options either. Either he's a masochist, or, say slash sadist, you know, Trinity three and one, the masochist slash sadist, and he just loves pleasure. So he's like, well, I could snap my fingers, but I like the pleasure way. No, I don't think that was the case. The alternative is that if there was no other way, it means and says something about the seriousness of our condition. And that's hard to see today. Because on this side of the fall, after Jesus, you know, having died for us, I think it's easy to take for granted because it's like today we have so many vaccines letting you get your hepatitis shot, for example, when you're a baby, and uh, and after that, now you're supposed to be good. And uh, we take it for granted, but we know that it's actually a serious and deadly virus, a lot of vaccines that we have. It can kill you. It's life-threatening. And you might... I've grown up in the church We're like, okay, I have this sin, but Jesus is there. And so you maybe never fully considered the weight of your sin. But when we see that God did it this way, you're stunned. Because one thing it says is what whatever is going on inside of me was never something I could have fixed on my own. I mean, it took God himself, the same God through which the universe was created, to go through suffering and die for this thing to be fixed and resolved. And it leaves you stunned at what in the world was going on inside of you. Which is why, if there was another way, Jesus would have taken that route. The prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was about to be arrested and tortured and killed. He was praying to God and he was just sweating like crazy. And he said, if there is any other way, if you could take this cup from me, then let it be. If there's any other way that this could happen, let it be. But not my will, but yours be done. And so it was for the seriousness of our condition and for the authenticity of our healing. What do I mean by that? It means that even, for example, at this moment, if you've ever gone through suffering before and you know uh, and you see someone who has also suffered, maybe gone through similar things or the same thing that you have gone through. It just changes something about that. It's different from someone else who might come to you and uh, you may have experienced the loss of a loved one. And if they say, hey, don't worry, this will get better. It's, it's not, you know, there's something about that. It doesn't give you, there's no authenticity of a healing there. But Jesus chose to do it this way because he knew how serious your sufferings and scars and wounds were. So when he goes through that horrific horrific brutality and brutal treatment, that suffering on our behalf, our wounds, again, not symbolically, literally, through faith, become undone. So if you're ever questioning, even at this moment, as a child of God, whether oh you still have a lot of sickness or you still have a lot of you know sin, you still have a lot of brokenness, you have still scars and wounds, I don't know uh, what my state is. Read this again and remember, be encouraged. Because every time Jesus was whipped, every time Jesus was struck, every drop of blood that was shed, every single instance of pain and suffering that Jesus received, literally not symbolically, literally transcended time and space to come to your existence at present, so as to heal your wounds and cover your sin in a wholesome way, in a literal way, in a nitty-gritty, practical, real way. So when the Bible tells you that you are healed, It's not just playing games and saying, well, it's like you are healed, or it feels like, or it's meaningful in a certain way. Literally, you are healed. If Jesus, the, the author of your faith and of the universe, is going to suffer, not one iota of suffering will be wasted, but will be used for something that is effective. What an amazing support that we have, knowing that the wounds of christ heal ours when your spiritual walk you ever doubt as you look in the mirror and struggle know that the brutality of god has covered the entirety of sin there is no you missed a spot very quickly last point why do you do it this way for glory if you're making a resume for any reason job or going getting into a school You want to always put your bragging rights on there. You want to put what you want to be most known for. And God also has such a list. But he has one thing that he wants to be known for more than being majestic over all creation, having power over nature, infinite strength, healing, illnesses, infinite wisdom. More than all that, he has one thing he most wants to be known for that supersedes everything else by a long shot. And that is what we read today in Isaiah 53, that he suffered on your behalf. He wants to connect and intimately intertwine his glory to your well-being god's glory is something that will get done and he wants to connect it to your well-being which is why he died and labors for you to have encouragement for the soul this is the main thing that uh, god most wants to brag about that would ring throughout all of the universe i want to end with revelation chapter 5 verse 11 then i looked And heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. And all these angels encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were praising God and saying what? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. God wants popularity for being slain. He wants that message to ring out in the universe to be slain for on your behalf to connect that glory that is the greatest purpose of the universe and to intram- uh, intimately connect it to your well-being so as uh, for you to have an amazing amount of support and to be, per- uh, to be supported in your faith with God. So how big is the God today when you consider the amount of love that God has for you on the spot at this moment I pray and ask God that you will, every time you go to God, read his word, think about him taking him a walk, whether you're lying in bed or you're at work, that you will be brimming with confidence that is supported by his word and what he's done for you.